Well, if you were here this morning, you know, I kind of got a little surprised by looking up and seeing the time. But if I was smart, what I would have said was, according to the clock, it's only 1030. I got another hour. None of y'all helped me out. I said, I understand that Tina figured that out, but everybody around her told her to shut up and don't say anything. I was also thinking, Greg, I don't know what kind of pancakes you're fixing, but if I got to use a hedge trim and a rake to get them in, I'll do it. You know. But I told you this morning that we're going to start on Sunday nights a, a series uh, that I'm calling the stories that Jesus told, and they're all about the parables that Jesus told. And of course, many of these parables are familiar to us, and I know that I've preached on them independently at, at different times, but never really done uh, a series like this. We remember the parable of the sower and the good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son, rich man and Lazarus, and there's some question whether that's a parable or not, and we may discuss that when we get to it. The 99 lost sheep and the one that was uh, out uh, and was found. And we think about, you know, a definition. And I remember it with uh, the teenagers one time asking, what's the definition of a parable? And I've never heard anything better than the definition I got in, I think it was junior high class, an earthly story with the spiritual be- meaning. An earthly story with the spiritual meaning. And that's, I don't think you can get any better. Uh, You might come up with more flowery words. You might come up with something, you know, longer than that. But you won't get into anything that really hits the essence of what a parable is. I remember, and I think about, when I think about the parables of Jesus, I think that Aesop, whoever he was, I don't remember, you know, I don't know who he was, but he he stole from Jesus because he did the Aesop fables. We remember those, the tortoise and the hare, and that's about all I can really remember at this point. But he had all those fables that, that basically had, a, it was a an earthly story with a moral being, uh, meaning, essentially. And they're like parables. Parables, however, are not unique in the Bible. They're not unique to Jesus. They're not even unique to the New Testament. One of the first parables, not necessarily the first one, but if you remember, one of the first parables was told by Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 12. You remember that David had committed his sin with Bathsheba and it had Uriah killed in battle. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells this story to David. Now, now Nathan is telling it to David as if it's real. David thinks it's real. I don't know how many of you, we did the age thing this morning, so I don't remember exactly when it was. But remember, I remember hearing about when H.G. Wells did the War of the Worlds on radio the very first time. And people who did not catch the beginning of the program where it was said that this is a story really thought that there were aliens invading the earth, you know. Uh, and eventually, you know, they had to stop in the middle of the broadcast, I believe, and say again, this is, this is not real. This is not happening. But Nathan does not tell David that the story he's about to tell is not real. He said, he tells it as if it were true. And Nathan says it was a man, poor man, and he only had one little sheep, one little lamb, and his family loved that little sheep. It was like a pet to them, even slept in the house. 
And next to him lived the rich man who had all kinds of herds of cattle and sheep and all the kind of stuff that you would have. And one day some visitors came to the rich man's house and instead of taking one of the many from the flocks that he had, he went next door and took the one little lamb for the poor man, slaughtered it and fed it to the people who had come to visit. And when David hears this parable, he is incensed. He is irate. He makes a pronouncement that the man who did such a thing ought to be killed. But at the very least, he needs to pay four time or fourfold. I don't remember what it was. What, you know, what, what, what happened? And you remember Nathan says to David, you are the man. And David immediately realizes that that story was about him and Bathsheba and Uriah and had nothing to do with a poor man and his sheep. And we might ask ourselves, well, why did Jesus use parables? Why did Jesus tell stories? Well, I think obviously one reason is because people remember stories. People remember uh, you know, stories that are, that are told to them and they will, they will hit home. They will, it will help them to remember the point. Now, one of the things about whether it's a preacher or whomever it is, who's using illustrations, one of the pitfalls is using an illustration or using a story and the audience leaves and they don't remember what the point of the story was, but they remember the story. And I fear that that happens a lot of times. Yeah, well, I remember the story Tim told, but I don't remember the point of it. And I know that's true because there are times when I tell a story up here and I forget what point I was trying to make. So it's true with me. I'm sure it's true with you. But when we think about the parables that Jesus told, the ones that we know, the purpose and the meaning is pretty evident. And Jesus would sometimes have to explain it because sometimes the people there didn't get it. And he had to explain it to them a little bit. But I think another reason Jesus used parables is the same reason that Nathan the prophet used a parable. If Nathan the prophet had come to David and just accused him, what do you think David's reaction might have been? Now, he might have taken it in stride. He might have just said, oh, Nathan, you're right. But you see, telling that story got David all invested in the situation. And then Nathan reveals the situation I'm talking about is you. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. You remember that the man came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, you know the commandments, you know, love your mother and father, don't steal, don't kill, don't do all these things. The man says, well, I've done, I've done all of that. And he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it says that the man wanted to justify himself and asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Now, couldn't Jesus just have said, Everybody? Couldn't Jesus just said, whoever needs your help, that's your neighbor? And the man may have taken that, he may. But when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, 
And how that the Samaritan helped the Jew who'd been beaten. That really focused and and hit home and showed what Jesus was trying to say. And Jesus never answered the question. You know, if you remember that, of course, that's not the parable we're talking about now, but it seems like it. I know that. But remember, Jesus then asked the man, and who was the man's neighbor? Jesus never answered the question. He told the story and the man himself answered his own question. Well, many recognize, depending on, well, depending on the criteria you use as to what is or what is not a parable, the estimations are that there's between 30 to 40 parables in the New Testament that Jesus told. I would not have thought there were that many. Now, I don't know if they're duplicating some from, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke or, or whatever. I would not have thought there were that many, but that's what I read. And many recognize the parable of the sower that is found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8 as the first parable of Jesus. However, I think there is actually an earlier parable that even better lays the foundation of Jesus' ministry. Now, the parable of the sower would be a great first parable for Jesus to tell, right? Remember the sower went out and it went on the different soils? That, that, wouldn't that be a great way to begin Jesus' ministry? Explain what's going to happen. That, you know, he's going to spread the word and it's going to go on into different... But there's even a better parable that I think I would call a parable. And that is the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And we find that in Luke chapter 6, but we are more familiar with it in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And you remember that Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins concluding in chapter 7 and verse 21 when he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, uh, uh, yeah, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. And I had never before really made the connection because when we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we kind of do it at chunks. And so if I ever taught the Sermon on the Mount or preached on the Sermon on the Mount, I would have taken those verses as a separate entity. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say, did we not? Okay. And so we'd have wrapped that up. And then the next week, we'd have gotten to the parable of the wise and foolish builders. But it wasn't really until this week, until I realized that there is a definite connection between verses 21 to 23 and then what we see in the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Because Jesus says, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Now, skip the rest of it and go straight to the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Therefore, remember... When there's a therefore, it goes back to that. Therefore, who, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, I would say, does them, right? Is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, the stream rose, and winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus concludes the sermon, like we said at the beginning there, with not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord. Kind of harsh words. But then he goes on to explain himself in the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And tonight I want to look at a couple lessons that we can learn that apply to us as well. And the first lesson is, is that hearing and listening are important. We need to ask ourselves a question. Who do we listen to? I know that's grammatically incorrect. But if I just said, to whom do we listen? Most of you would go, huh? Who do we listen to? When it comes to important issues of life. Maybe... Fox News, maybe ESPN, because they have all the important issues of life on ESPN. Those of us, again, who are a little older, you know, at one point in time, Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in America. You know, if Walter Cronkite said it, that's the way it was, right? And I don't know who it is for us today. Maybe Professors, maybe preachers, but what determines who you listen to? What, what makes you decide who you're going to listen to? And what it is, is you assume or believe that that person has some sort of expertise or authority in that area. For example, I mentioned this morning... If you want financial advice, how to invest your money to get the most out of it, you do not want to come to me. The only time in my life I ever had some money and I invested it was exactly one week before the stock market went kaput. I'm like, are you kidding me? I put money and now it's worth like 25% of what I put in. So you do not want to take financial advice from me. But you will take financial advice from somebody that you perceive to have some credibility or authority. Now, you may be deceived by that. You may be wrong about that and find out they don't have any, they don't know any more than I know. But that's what makes it to whom we listen. Jesus is our authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not their teachers of the law. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And in 1 Corinthians 15, when it talks about the resurrection, it says, all things are going to be put under 
His, meaning Jesus, authority. And you remember in uh, John chapter 6, when the people were leaving, Jesus said to the disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, to whom should we go? You have the words of life. We need to make sure that we understand the first part of, of being a wise builder is understanding that we ought to listen to. We need to listen to and hear what Jesus is telling us. You remember in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about uh, the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep know my voice. We need to be so intimate with Jesus, so intimate with his teachings, with what he said, that we know his voice. We know what he says for our lives. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, I think this is pretty interesting. And I, and I think this is basically what's going on there. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there and Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter, James, and John, they wake up and they're startled. And they realize that it's Elijah and Moses And Jesus, sidebar, how did Peter know that it was Elijah and Moses? Were they wearing name tags? Had he seen pictures of them? I don't know. But anyway, he recognized, maybe by the conversation or what was going on, he recognized that there was Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And Peter says... Lord, shall we build three tabernacles, three tents? Shall we make three shelters so that Moses, Elijah, and yourself can have somewhere to, to you know, live or, or be comfortable? And you remember at that moment, the voice booms from heaven and says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. What I believe God the Father was saying was the same thing that the writer of Hebrews said in the first couple chapters, uh, which Frank talked about on Wednesday night. In times past, God spoke through the prophets and our forefathers. But now in this day, he has spoken through his son. Was Moses and the law of Moses and what God gave Moses, was that important? Absolutely. Were the prophets, and I believe Elijah represented all the prophets, and what the prophets said, were they important? Absolutely. But when compared to Jesus Christ, when compared to the Son of God, it's kind of like, remember we talked about, you know, except you hate your father and mother, you know, that compared to Jesus and listening to him, there's no comparison. And so we need to make sure that we listen and that we know God's word in our lives. You know, there is, there, there is a lot of noise in the world. And we need to pick, be able to pick out the word of God from all the other noise. Those of you who are parents, you know how this works. You can be in a crowded grocery store, but you yell for your kid and they will find you. Because they recognize that voice. Or you can hear your child. One of the most, if you were here, you remember one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me and it embarrassed Brittany beyond 
belief. But you remember when Peyton was a little bitty baby. Little bitty. And Brittany had brought her to church. Now, you know, we have babies crying all the time, right? It doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me. I don't get distracted too much by babies crying or whatever's going on. But if you remember that Sunday morning, out of nowhere, Peyton let out this scream. And I was like, whoa, whose kid is that? Because I recognized that voice. I knew that was my grandchild. I'd never heard her scream like that. I I think, you know, Kenya pinched her is what happened. But I'd never heard her. But I, I recognized that. Our children recognize our voice. When my kids were in sports, I could yell something in the middle of a crowded gymnasium. And they would know that was daddy yelling at them. Normally, I'd get a dirty look in return, but, you know, anyway. We must recognize Jesus' authority, his wisdom, and then listen to him. Secondly, listening involves doing. It doesn't end with hearing. Remember, that's what Jesus said. Uh, you're, the, 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 the wise man is one who, who if you, the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's not enough just to hear. It's not enough just to listen. We must obey. Remember James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I remember when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount as a sermon series. And I don't know if you adults that were in the Sermon on the Mount class that we had for a couple quarters, you know. But I remember when we were doing the sermon series, I said, you know, We ought to try to read the Sermon on the Mount once a week. That ought to be a goal. Read the Sermon on the Mount at least once a week. Well, you know, that's good. That's fine. But if you read the Sermon on the Mount once every week, close it, and don't ever put any of it into practice, don't ever apply any of it to your life, you might as well have not even read it. It's not doing you any good. That's what James says when he says the person who hears these words and doesn't put it, doesn't do it, is like the man who looks in the mirror and he turns away and he forgets what he looks like. So we need to do what the word says. We cannot come away from God's word unchanged. I'm glad you led that, you know, we didn't plan this. I'm glad you led that, you know, give me the Bible. We don't, that's old people, right? We used to sing that one a lot. We don't sing it very much anymore but I love the words to that give me the Bible we need we cannot come to the Bible come to God's word without a change in our lives listening and doing add up to obedience and that's what Jesus is saying here do what it says put my words into practice do it obedience is absolutely necessary And that goes to our third point, which is doing provides a solid foundation. Do you really get what Jesus is saying in this parable? He's not saying, and I'm not saying that it wouldn't be appropriate to say it in a different setting. He's not saying that his words 
are the foundation. He's not saying that our studying the words are the foundation. He says putting the words into practice is the solid foundation. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like the man who builds his house on the rock and the rains come and the floods come and the storm beat against it, but it still stands. The man who hears these words and doesn't put them into practice like the man who builds his house on the sand. What's the difference there? There's only one difference there. Putting it into practice. Doing what God wants us to do. Obeying God is the basis of our foundation. Now, I am not a builder, as you understand. But I do understand the importance of a solid foundation. We talk about a foundation for life, whether it's education or a career or whatever it is. But a true foundation is built on our relationship with Jesus and doing what he tells us to do. You know, these houses, if Jesus, you know, maybe even painting a picture or actually building the house on the outside. The houses would look identical, would they not? They would look exactly alike. And then you go into the house and the inside of the house may be exactly alike. Maybe the identical color scheme, maybe the identical furniture, maybe the identical, you know, appliances. Everything looks exactly alike. In fact, if these two houses were next door, there were probably times when you walked up to the wrong house thinking it was yours. Have you ever done that to a car? Walked up to a car. In fact, no comment, Janice. Janice just did that today, by the way. Uh, but you walk up to a car that looks just like yours. You think it's yours, and it's not. I drove to Longview not too long ago, and I was in my pickup truck. And I came out. I went in a convenience store to get something to drink, and I came out, and right there was a little... Blue Chevy Cruze, which is the other car we have. I opened the door. I don't know who was more scared. Me or the 400-pound dude that was sitting in the front seat. At first, I was like, what are you doing in my car? And then I was like, he's going to kill me. And then I realized I didn't come in my car. I came in the truck. But it looked just like my car. These houses look exactly alike. And I think what Jesus is saying is, what he's been saying throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you can look right on the outside. But what's the foundation of your life? Is your foundation On the sand where you look right, but you're really not doing what God wants you to do. You're really not following his word. Or are you building a solid foundation? And the storms and everything was fine, right? The wise man built his house. You know, if that was the end of it, the wise man built his house upon the sand. If that was the end of the song. Be no problem, right? But the rains came down. And the floods came up. And the wind beat against the house. In our lives, I can guarantee you, if it hasn't happened yet, the storms are coming. The rain's going to come. 
The floods are going to rise. The wind is going to beat against you. There are going to be storms in your life. Many out here have experienced a lot of those storms. Others have experienced, you know, a tropical storm. But the Category 5 hurricane's on its way. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And where is our foundation? Is our foundation on the relationship that we have with God doing what He wants us to do? We see lives crumbling around us every day from a lack of foundation, unable to cope, unable to handle life's problems, no resources available. I remember Norman saying this all the time. He would talk about those people who would take away our hope and leave us nothing in return. That's what the world does. The world takes away our hope and leaves us nothing in return. God gives us hope. God gives us a foundation. So that we can weather the storms that come in our lives. So I know it's a children's song, but I love that song. And I hope and pray that for all of us that we will build our house, build our faith, build our our relationship with Jesus on the solid rock that is doing what he says. Doing what he says. If you're here tonight and there's some way that we can help or encourage you, We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F. I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at AOL dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, We would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.